0: Comical by Chasing Albert.
1: Businesses big and small are grappling with how to get people to come back to the office. Truth of the matter is, times have changed, work has changed, and what we want from our workspace has changed too. My guest today is Angela Ferguson, co-founder of Future X Collective, one of Australia's leading workplace design consultancies. She has 20 years of experience working with a diverse range of corporate clients across Australia, Asia, and New Zealand, and she brings great insight into what the workplaces of the future really need to look like to be successful. Spoiler alert, it's more than a fake green wall and a fridge full of wine. Welcome, Angela. Great to be here. So great to have you. Such an interesting topic. I know that you specialize in in workplaces and creating workplaces that are collaborative and productive. It's been really interesting post-COVID, the raging debate of whether or not people will come back to the office, why they should come back to the office in particular has been an interesting one. The Productivity Commissioner in New South Wales has come out saying that it's costing us in terms of innovation and people should come back at least three days a week into the office. How has that been measured and and what is it that you've seen?
0: Yeah, look, the thing that I've seen is there's a slowing of pace in terms of business, in terms of you know, decision-making, getting things done. And I think that's what the Productivity Commission is equating to that lack of innovation because there's like the momentum has changed and in some ways I think that's really positive because, you know, the pressure we were under in 2019 and the pace of business that we were working, you know, before the pandemic was just, it was escalating and it was getting... You know, something had to give, right? And it ended up being the pandemic. But I just—I think the big thing is that 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 sort of momentum of business and moving forward just hasn't ever got back to anything near like what it used to be.
1: Are you starting to get the sense from the clients that you work with that, from a business perspective, that's exactly what they want to do and do it fast?
0: Yeah, a lot of clients we're working with—they they want people back in the office, not necessarily five days a week, but there is that recognition that, you know, when we're physically together, things happen, you know, that can't happen online. So, you know, one of the things I heard during the last couple of years was that, you know, when we're physically in a room together, we sink our breathing. So when that happens, the conversation flows. And when the conversation flows, that's when the ideas happen and, you know, new collaborations are generated. So I think there's a lot of sort of intuitive thought about getting people back to the office so some of those sparks between people being physically co-located start to happen. And you know, you can't do that sort of stuff online.
1: How can businesses start to get people back? What is it? I read I read somewhere and this really resonated with me that, you know, people under 30 and people over 55 were more happy to go back into a city or a CBD or whatever, an office in general. Um, but people in the middle were more reluctant and that's where I fit. I'm that, you know, the people in the middle. And for me, it's, you know, I don't think wild horses could bring me back into a nine to five office job simply because it just suits me better with young children to not travel. It's really as simple as that. What, what, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, look, I think, I really think, you know, you've got to start treating people like adults You know, like people have, they pay rent, they have mortgages, you know, they manage families. You know, I really think that there's got to be some, you know, ability for people to make their own choices. But at the same time, there's got to be a framework and a kind of loose structure around the expectations. So that balance is really hard to achieve. A lot of the clients we're working with, they don't want to mandate anything. They just want to attract. So to attract people, you have to work super, super hard to actually get people to come in.
1: Is the solution for one business the same as the solution for another?
0: Absolutely not. It's so different for every business. And everything I've seen too is that it's culture-driven. So if you've got a really kind of rigid culture where, you know, what leadership says goes, they're the ones that are demanding people come back to the office five days a week, no flexibility. The ones that are a much more collaborative culture, much more people-focused then they're the ones that are sort of, you know, experimenting and trying different things and seeing what works and taking people on that journey of what the future of work really looks like for them. Because that's the thing too, is that it will continue to evolve. It's never going to be static.
1: So what are some of the things that you've you've noticed or your clients have noticed are working?
0: I think a good example is probably what we've done in our studio, which You know, we sort of, uh, we experiment on ourselves first before we experiment on everybody else. (laughs) And, you know, even before the pandemic, we worked really hard on our culture. So we focus on culture. And so what we initially did was we just let people decide for themselves when they would come into the office and when they wouldn't. And that didn't quite work because... The way we work as a business is very collaborative. You know, we're project-based and team-based. So then we started to put a structure around that and, you know, we tried lots of different things during the lockdowns and so earlier this year when things started to settle down a bit and we started to, you know, started to see that this is, okay, this is kind of what the future is looking like now. You know, there's going to be further pandemics. There's going to be things that affect whether people can or can't get into the office, particularly around the weather in New South Wales nobody likes to go out in the rain. So what we said was, we'd like you in the office three days a week. You choose which of those three days they are. If possible, we'd like you to come in on a Thursday because that's when we do, you know, a Thursday night drinks and we do a um, like a pinup session and team building. But then obviously if something's happening at home and you need more flexibility than that, let us know. But if something is happening in the office that we need you in for, we'd like you to be flexible around that. So it's just been this give and take process and it seems to be working really well you know yeah I'm really happy with the way it's going I think everyone's been really open and transparent and and really committed to making this work.
1: And how many how big is your team?
0: So we're about 20 whatever we've done in that team of 20 is similar to the size of teams within businesses you know give or take so what I'm finding with my clients is that it's it's really driven by the team how that flexible working policy works so An accounts or a finance team, for example, because they're not so collaborative typically in the way they work, they can possibly work at home um, more often than, say, an innovation team or you know an R and D team that actually sparks off each other. So, are you saying that
1: for a company, because I, you know, your business works with a lot of big organisations like Brother and car sales, are you suggesting then that the the way of the future for a company isn't to look at it as a one policy for a business, but rather looking at it for what works best for the teams.
0: Yeah, exactly. So a lot of um, a lot of companies I've worked with, they have an overarching flexible work policy, and then it's up to that line manager or you know the the GM of you know that particular group as to how that then gets implemented. And I mean that can cause friction too, right? Because Somebody in, in one team might see, look what that team's doing. I want to be doing that. So there's, you know, a bit of, a bit of flexible envy going on there. But I think it's a good thing actually, because, you know, for a long time, work has had such negative connotations. You know, it's like, you know, if you look it up in the thesaurus, it's the, the other things that say work are like labor and toil and chore and they're not fun things. <laughs> yeah. You know, and housework and homework, they're not cool things either. So I feel like work's becoming more human, you know. Which is nice. And more appealing. Yeah, it's great. And it's about time. I had a conversation with my
1: colleague today about the idea of the, you know, the silent quitter.
0: Oh, yeah, the quiet quitting.
1: The quiet quitting, sorry. Yes. And this whole idea that if you're somebody who's just, you know, getting your work done within your hours, that you're quietly quitting. And I went, oh God, well, as a business owner, I guess that's me because I've got very strict boundaries around, I have to, with the amount of stuff that, that I've got on. Uh, what's your view
0: on it? Yeah, I, I have real issues with that. And I think it's come from the US, right? And labor laws in the, like the US doesn't have the Fair Work Act like we do. And I think our employees in Australia are very well protected by the Fair Work Act. So So there's that side of it. But then there's also, you know, where are the boundaries? Like you say, like if I want to just do my job, do what's in my job description, then I have every right to do that. But if I want to, you know, if I'm ambitious and I want to get ahead, I am going to go above and beyond to maybe do a little bit extra and kind of show my leadership, what I can do and what I'm made of. So, and we've had, you know, we've had people in our business over the years who have just done their job description and we've respected that. And, you know, they haven't wanted to, you know, move into director positions or move into senior leadership positions because they have other things going on in their life and that's exactly what they want to do. So we've honoured that. But then we've got other people who are like, you know, who might want my job, for example, and I'm really happy to, you know, give them more and more responsibility, not to work them into the ground but just to provide the opportunities that they're looking for.
1: Yeah, for me I think there's a big difference between going above and beyond right, outside of work hours and going above and beyond within your work hours, it's still possible to overachieve without completely working yourself into the ground. Before I ask you about what the workplace of the future looks like, something that um, I wanted to ask you about is this optimum workplace experience. Can you tell me what that is?
0: It's a great question and thank you for asking it because it's my absolute passion. So My core skills are around workplace strategy and workplace design. And whenever we've done workplace strategies, it hasn't just been about what the workplace will physically look like when it has been designed and built. It's always been about how does culture and leadership feed into the behaviors around the workplace? What does technology and agility look like? So Can I pick up my laptop and move anywhere in my future workspace and be able to seamlessly plug and play? And how do we, you know, connect with each other? What is the health and wellbeing piece in the workplace? You know, how ready are people for change? Are they change fatigued or are they ready for new experiences? And, then, of course, there's the workplace strategy and the workplace design. And the strategy is around, you know, what is the best flexible or hybrid working policy for people. So they're the six pillars that we have that we think makes up or our experience has shown if you want a successful workplace, if you want to tick all the boxes to create this really holistic experience of what work looks like for people that's, you know, enriching and fulfilling and supports people in self-actualising, then if you address all of those six things and not necessarily get them perfect from day one, but if you're consistently addressing those things, then you're going to have an incredible workplace. And when I say workplace, I mean, not just the physical space, just the whole, you know, the experience of belonging to that organization of, you know, doing fulfilling work of connecting with colleagues. Yeah. So if you hit all of those six pillars, it's going to be an awesome place for people to work. And an awesome company, right? A really successful, awesome company. You mentioned
1: before that there, no two solutions are the same, but I don't know, to my simple mind, I think, but surely there's there is there's common ground for any business. What is that?
0: Yeah, I think the common ground is that before COVID, so at Future Space, which is our architectural part of the business, interiors part of the business, we identified that there were three main reasons people came to work and they were to get focused work done, to collaborate with their colleagues and to, you know, have some of those social interactions. The priorities were really about collaboration. The biggest complaint was about being able to get the focus work done and then the social stuff was nice to have. And then post-COVID or after COVID, we found that the main reasons people were coming to work were for the social connections. Collaboration was also really key and a lot of the focus work could be done at home because, you know, people sort of already set up for working at home. So, I mean, those things are consistent in terms of the reasons people go to a place to work that's not home or not somewhere else, but just the priorities of those is what has changed and then so that then has a knock-on effect for what the physical environment starts to look at look like so if people are wanting to socialize then those spaces like those big cafes or kitchens or innovation labs or hubs or those sorts of things like they've become bigger and taken up more space within the uh, workplace
1: so it's is it the death of the office is that what we're talking about now you know, the individual closed door that someone sits in. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, funnily enough, though, we are seeing a lot more of those one to two person small rooms because conversations like you and I having now are not great when they're done in the open plan. So people need those one, to, you know, those small rooms to be able to duck into, to do those video calls, to not disturb their colleagues, to not be disturbed by their colleagues. So, It's interesting, like there is more built environment. There's a lot less desks, so a lot less rows and rows and rows of workstations, a lot more, you know, team areas and flexible furniture and collaborative zones and a lot more of those small built rooms. But, yeah, but they're not owned, so they're all shared. There's a lot more shared space.
1: So what then, let's look to the future, very near future. I mean, it's, God, how is it? almost 2023 already, what does the workspace of the future look like? And when you say look
0: like, right, you mean physically and aesthetically look like,
1: yeah? Well, I mean anything, but that, let's start there. Let's let us start there so that we can be specific. Physically,
0: what does it look like first? Well, physically, it, it's kind of what I was just saying then, you know. So it's a lot more of those built closed rooms, the smaller one- to two-person rooms, a lot less giant 30-person meeting rooms because a lot of those You know, where people or where businesses do those board meetings or exec meetings, in because a lot of those are hybrid now, a lot less on site training facilities because, again, that can be happening online virtually, and a lot less rows and rows of desks because we are seeing people coming into the office or the hub or whatever you want to call it to collaborate with their colleagues and collaboration requires spaces that can be shared by people in settings that can be moved around, uh, settings that include some technology but also include things like whiteboards. And it's kind of a lot messier and a lot less controlled, I think, the workplace of the future. It's a bit more about an experience and a series of experiences rather than this one static, you know, singular purpose.
1: And what about in terms of what it physically looks like? Is there still an emphasis on do people still want an environment that... You know, looks pretty, and you know, has the uses recycled timbers, etc.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, look. Um, usually, we align the physical aesthetic with the brand, but whenever we talk to a client about what they want their space to look like, we start with what the purpose of the workplace is. So, you know, are they asking people to come in and collaborate? Are they asking people to come in and socialise? So then that has an impact on what it looks like. Aesthetically, it really is different for every organisation. We don't tend to follow trend when we design. We really, you know, we don't have a house style we don't have, you know, a typical look or feel, we actually really respond to a client. So, for example, you know, a financial services client is going to be a little bit more formal than, you know, a tech sector client and so that then has an impact on, you know, if they're in a commercial building, for example, or, or they're in a warehouse, then the aesthetic starts to play out quite differently.
1: So that's aesthetically. What about um, the other softer aspects of a workplace? What are the trends for the future there?
0: I think the trends are really around people and culture. The businesses that I've seen are most successful are the ones that put culture first and people first, and then everything else kind of falls into place around that. And so by, you know, when I say look like, what I mean is how people experience working there. Years ago, we did some work for whatif.com, And they were in a commercial office tower and they wanted to move to a really cool, funky warehouse because their workplace didn't say anything about who they were as a business, how kind of vibrant and energetic and obsessed with travel that they were. They found a, a warehouse to move into. And then we designed this really interesting space that had lots of nooks and crannies that were like when you go exploring when you're travelling and you come across exciting, you know, surprise little moments, you know, in a city. And so we built that into the design and we used travel as a motif in the graphics and laid up the warehouse aspect of their design. So it really gave people a sense of, you know, the business and the brand and their values and everything they stood for. So that value piece and that purpose piece, is really important for employees as well. So that's the sort of thing they're looking for in that future experience of work.
1: Do you factor in the what the employee wants when you're building a workplace and what does that process look like?
0: Yeah, so we do a really big engagement piece before we even, you know, put pen to paper and start to do any sort of drawing. So what we'll do is, you know, we do leadership interviews. So we talk very strategically to leadership. We do these great online workshops that can be opened up to anyone in an organization. So, you know, I've worked with companies that have 200 people, 400 people, a thousand people, and we've had 60 people on these workshops at any given time and they're interactive. So we use this interactive tool where people can respond to questions about what they want to see in the future of work. And you see the results live on the screen. So it's an amazing way to, you know, get, the temperature and to really understand what people are looking for.
1: Do you see a difference between what different types of people look for, be it by age or gender?
0: Demographically, like if you start to group people into the generations, we do see different things. And it's a little bit like what you mentioned earlier, like the younger generations are really looking for that peer-to-peer mentoring. And, you know, to be able to just, you know, work alongside and their leaders and to learn from them. And then a lot of that older generation who are established in their careers, they're pretty happy working at home, you know, because they've, you know, more than likely got their own setup. You know, they've got their own room. They can shut the door. They're not sharing with flatmates and they can work pretty self-sufficiently. They don't need a lot of collaboration with their team. So It does depend, I think, where you are in your career, what you're looking for from that experience of work.
1: And do you think that these trends also apply to smaller businesses? Like, for example, the setup that you've got in your studio, do you not have the desks and you have a big kitchen and it's all kind of more set up for collaboration and and social engagement rather than for focus work?
0: Yeah, we moved out of where we were Coming up to, it was December last year. We had to move because our lease was up and they were renovating the building. So we had to get out. So what we've then done, so we've got less desks than people and we have a booking system where if you're coming in, you book a desk, you book your favourite spot. So, you know, you've kind of got that desk allocated to you for a day. So all of our laptops and technology can kind of click in anywhere. And we're about to renovate. So we moved into this space that was already fitted out and it was A great opportunity actually, because we could then, you know, move things around, test and learn, treat it a little bit like this, um, you know, hackable space that we can play with and do what we want. So we experimented on that and tested a lot of our ideas. And so we're about to build our brand new fit out, which is exactly what we need in terms of, you know, the number of desks. We do have the big social space, all of those collaborative areas and spaces that we need those one- to two-person rooms that we need, the more formal boardroom. So we've got this great opportunity to build our ideal environment that's going to suit the way we work and gives us the ability to – we can probably fit another 15 people in um, based on how the flexible policy is playing out.
1: Are you going to have any ping-pong tables and billiard tables a thing of the
0: past? Well, (laughs) I've never understood – like, I've always been so busy at work, I've never had time for any of that stuff, right? Um.
1: Yeah, no, same. Yeah. I found that the IT guys are always the ones that use them.
0: Yeah, and they're good for like Friday night drinks or Thursday night drinks. But yeah, they take up a fair bit of real estate. And the noise of the ping pong table in the middle of the office is a bit aggravating. Agreed. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you, Angela. Thanks for coming on. That was really interesting.
0: Oh, Thank you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure.